You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 in verse number 1. James chapter 3 verse number 1. Let's all stand this morning as we uh, get our Baptist aerobics in. And, uh, you know, I, I tell you this statistic, but it's a true statistic. One out of every three people here is good looking. Did you know that at Central Baptist Church? One out of every three. So look to your left. Look to your right. If it's not them, it must be you. All right. Let's read God's Word this morning. The Bible says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with, strict, with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and, rept and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has also been, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may be seated. Have you ever thought about how many words you say in a day? Now the average, the average woman <laughs> speaks around 20,000 words a day. That's the average woman. The average man speaks around 15,000 words a day. And for most men, while we're at work, we speak 14,998. And we come home only with two words. Feed me. Now, there was another study that was, that was done that found that that, that the average person spends one-fifth of their lifetime talking. Now, that includes text messaging because today, millennials and Gen Zers are more likely to text to people than they are to speak to people on the phone or in other avenues. But have you ever wondered what it would look like if you were just to get a printout of the transcripts of what you said in a day? What would it look like in a year? Did you know that the transcripts for the average person in a year would, would come to about 18,250 pages? That's roughly 92 200-page books. We talk. One of the things that I've learned in my own life and seeing my children is that they come out talking. 
You remember the day when your kids first started saying and putting words together? You look forward to that day. You long for that day. And then now you look back and say, oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) We are talkers. We're created to talk. We're created to communicate, to think, to express ourselves, to share our thoughts and our feelings. Because we are created by a God who communicates. And we live in a day of incessant talk, of 24-hour news cycles, of social media and texting. And if you are honest this morning, you know that in our day, of all days, it seems that communication has gotten worse and worse, even though technology and communication has gotten better and better. We do not communicate very well, and for most people in society, we do not communicate in a way that honors God. So this morning, we're just going to lay our tongues on the altar if they'll fit. And we're going to just talk about the tongue. Now, you say, well, why in the world would we preach a message on the tongue? Well, because James preaches a message on the tongue. As a matter of fact, it's one of the big three areas that James deals with in this book. And it is a, a, a topic in which the Bible speaks volumes on. But James has already told us in chapter 1, verse 19, that we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak... Pardon me, we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we get the opposite of that. We are typically uh, slow to hear and quick to speak and very quick to anger. But then he also says in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks that they are religious, so you think you're religious, and if you cannot or do not bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. See, to James, here is the, what he's going to say to us this morning. To James, what we say says a lot about what we believe and who we truly are. See, one of the the underlying uh, foundations of the book that James deals with and what we talked about last week is that talk is cheap. That there is a great difference between a profession of faith and a possession of true, genuine faith. Genuine faith should change how you speak. It's been said that when Colonel Sanders, KFC... When Colonel Sanders became a Christian, he said he lost half of his vocabulary. (laughs) What James wants us to do this morning is he wants us to take the mirror of God's Word and see who God is and see who we are and listen and see how that all of us this morning are humbled by the fact that all of us stumble in what we say. And so this morning, I want us to see three things about our words, three things about what we say. The first thing I want you to say, see is this, is that what we say is powerful to those who hear it. It's powerful to those who hear it. In verse number one, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. When you read the book of James, when he uses this phrase, my brothers or my beloved brothers, it seems that he's changing topics or he's moving to his next point. He has just spoken to us about the difference between faith that is dead, faith that is demonic, and faith that is dynamic, that is alive. We're talking about living faith. You say you have faith, you show, you, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. But he says now he's changing topics and he is in this changing of topics conveying his affection for these believers, that he loves them, they are his Brothers, they are his beloved brothers. And, and in doing so, he warns. He warns those in the church 
who would aspire and desire to be a teacher. He, he gives them a, a warning. He is not discouraging. Maybe on surface it seems that he's discouraging people from being teachers, but I don't think that he's doing that at all because in that day and even in our day, there is a need for teachers. If you uh, have the spiritual gift of teaching, uh, you need to develop that gift and you need to use that gift. And so he's not discouraging people from teaching, but what he is saying is that if you become a teacher, if you become a preacher, there is great responsibility that comes with it. You know, it is a privilege to preach. I find it for myself, it's a privilege to preach. To love, to preach, is one thing. To love those to you preach to is another. James genuinely loves them, just as I now, being here almost 10 years, genuinely love you. I love you more now than I loved you 10 years ago. But yet, he says that not many of you should aspire and desire to be a teacher. Why? He says, because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, let me just back up for just a th three seconds. I literally feel like I could preach an entire sermon on, on verse number one, and I won't do that to you this morning. But here's what I want you to hear. Some people read this and they say, well, if we are in Christ, doesn't Romans chapter 8 verse 1 kick in where the Bible says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? So why is it that if I were to aspire to be a teacher, that I should be in fear of judgment? Hasn't Jesus taken that judgment from me and for me? Well, yes, he has if you're in Christ. This word judgment is not so much about condemnation as it is about evaluation that God is going to scrutinize every word that I preach. God help me. Every word that you teach, there's going to be an evaluation, not for salvation, but just for the glorification of Christ. How did I use my life? See, as a pastor, I understand that every word that I teach is important and that I'm going to stand before God and give an account for everything that I said and did as a pastor. And here is where this is more alarming for me is that I know that we live in a day, and many of you have been hurt by bad preachers. Many people have been hurt by bad pastors. You know, this is supposed to be Pastor Appreciation Month, but some of you, you hear this, and you're like, I can go back to a time where this pastor warped me. This pastor was mean and, and very discouraging to me in my walk. This pastor was very hypocritical. This pastor was very mean-spirited. And, and there is no doubt that some of you have been hurt by pastors. And that is why I want you to hear this morning, I'm not a perfect pastor. I know some of you have that illusion. But I want to go ahead and let you know that I have feet of clay. And that's why I want to constantly point you to the Word of God. To not just take it for what I say, but go to the Word and let the Word of God, because the Word of God will never let you down. But I think that what James is getting at, there's a sense in which we shouldn't envy pastors, shouldn't envy preachers, but we also shouldn't resent them. What should you do? You should pray for them. You should be encouraged and encouraging to them. Now listen, sometimes we, those of you who have been hurt and you feel like that, you know what, I've been hurt, I've been hurt. Here's some good news as well. Bad teachers will be judged by God. That's what he says, right? Now, verse number two. 
Here is, he's now moving. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. This is what I love about James. James the pious was a man of humility because he could have said, you know, you all stumble in many ways, but he says we. He adds that to himself and he says that he is aware of his own indwelling sin. Listen, as a pastor, as a preacher of God's word, I am a sinner just like you are. Anyone who teaches the word of God is a sinner just like you are. We have within us this indwelling sin and nobody has the ability outside of Christ to be perfect. We all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. No one outside of Jesus Christ is perfect. We are all mess ups. And then one of the areas in which we all tend to struggle with is in how we talk. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. We are all prone to say something wrong. We are all prone to say something evil. There is not a person somehow, some way, who doesn't struggle with their tongue. An angry word. An unthoughtful word. A slanderous word. An evil word, a hurtful word, gossip, lies, deception, self-promotion, exaggerations. We all struggle. There's a poem I learned a long time ago that says this, if all that we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in plain black and white would prove strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose everyone's eyes we could close, we must read the whole record through then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And I more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half that we say in a single day were forever left unsaid. True. So James says, listen, those who speak the most are going to be judged the most. Those are the teachers. Those are the preachers. And he says, we all stumble in sin. But then from verses 3 to 5, he gives us three visual examples of how something small can have a disproportionate impact. It's something that's small can have a disproportionate influence. And he gives three examples. The first example he gives is a horse. Now, a horse is a horse, a horse, a course. A horse is a horse, a course. But horses in bits. Now listen, I'm from Kentucky. It's the thoroughbred state. It's a place where we, we have the Kentucky Derby. And I don't, I, I've not ridden a lot of horses. Uh, I, I'm not going to go on the Old Town Road. If you're wondering, is that how that song goes? It'll take my horse to the, some of you heathens, you know that song. You can go ahead and speak it out. But, but horses are beautiful. And, and large horses can weigh over a thousand pounds and they are just pure muscle. They can run um, at least 45 miles an hour plus. And yet, if you see the Kentucky Derby, you see this itty bitty guy on this great big animal and he can control or she can control that huge animal with a bit and a bridle can turn that huge animal wherever they want to turn it just with a little piece of metal. James's first example. His second example is a ship and a rudder. He says, look at ships. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder. Large ships, some ships in the ocean can be over 91,000 tons. 
and yet they're controlled by a very small little rudder. His third example is fire. So the tongue is is a member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Right now in California, it's on fire. One little spark can, can destroy entire forests and acres upon acres of land and can and destroy entire regions. Just last year, there was the ranch fire in California that, born, that, that burned over 717 square miles and it was started by one spark that came from someone's hammer and that spark went and caught a whole place on fire and people's lives were devastated and destroyed because of one little spark. So James says in verse 5 that it is the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. He says the tongue that is less than a half a percent of your body weight has disproportionate power and influence over your life and the lives of others, either for good or for bad, for blessing or for cursing. So the point is this, if you can control your tongue, you can control your life. Because the tongue is powerful. Solomon said in Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21, he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words, our words, have the power to bless or to curse, to give life or bring death, to hurt or to heal. The Bible says that the tongue, in verse number 6, is a world of unrighteousness. Now why is James bringing this up? Is it just because he's got a little hobby horse that he wants to deal with? The reason he talks about the tongue is because in chapter 4, he's going to address the issue of fighting and quarreling within the church. That there were those who went to church, who raised their hands in worship, and yet, as soon as worship was over, started having problems and running their mouth to other people in the church. Now, that doesn't happen here, but it happened there. And basically, there was, there was an after effect that it was destroying the church because of uncontrolled tongues. That the spark of someone's tongue set a fire, and the fire is set on fire, James says, by hell, that you can trace it back to the source, which is Satan. You know, we, growing up, you heard the saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Well, I don't think that's true. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can kill you. How many young people, how many stories of young people have we heard that their lives have been destroyed, that many of them have taken their lives because of what someone said about them, said to them, either in person or online. Research says that persistent bullying, incessant, non-stop belittling, mocking, or tearing down by other people can lead to or worsen feelings of isolation, rejection, exclusion, despair, anxiety, and depression, which leads to higher risks of suicide. Did you know that suicide is the second leading cause of death among Americans aged 10 to 19 years old? They're taking their lives. Maybe some of you in this room, you're struggling. Because of what someone is saying to you, either in person or online or at school. If that is you, come see 
one of our encouragers, come see me, come speak to someone, get help. Do not let those thoughts permeate your mind. But the truth is this, is that for most people, your self-image is the sum of the verdicts spoken over you. See, words can make or break a child's spirit. Those of you that are parents, have you ever said something to your kids and you just watch their face just wilt? Have you ever also said something to your kids and, and it just lit up their face and they were just so happy? Words can make or break a marriage. Words are like toothpaste. Once they get out of the tube, it's hard to take it back in. And many of you, you've said things to your wives and th said things to your husbands that have destroyed your relationship. Words can destroy a friendship through lies and slander and gossip. Words can destroy a career. How many people's careers have been ruined because of something they wrote on Twitter or wrote in an email or said to a coworker? Words can destroy a church. Words can destroy a life. All it takes is 140 characters on Twitter, a post on Facebook, a few words spoken behind someone's back or to their face, and that person's entire life is ruined. What James is getting at is that this issue is not for somebody else. It's for all of us this morning. Words have power. So be careful. But secondly, not only does what we say, is it powerful to those who hear it, but number two, what we say points to, to the condition of our hearts. James continues talking about the destructive nature of the tongue, and then he deals with the inconsistency of the tongue. In verse number nine, he says, for with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. The highest form of speech is praising God. And then with it, with the same tongue, we curse people, the lowest form of speech. I'm not just saying using a bad word. I'm talking about slandering them, tearing them down, destroying them. We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We come to church with hands raised high, singing praises to God, and as soon as we leave, we run our mouths about people we saw in church. We get on social media. We start tweeting. We start complaining. We cut them down. And I'm just going to say this, and you may not like this, but unfortunately, this rhetoric starts with the very highest leader of our nation. And it's found its way in social media. That both the right and the left, politically, all they do is tear each other down. And even those in the church get caught up in the same rhetoric. I could say a lot and I better keep my mouth shut. But do not tie your faith to any political party or any political figure. You better tie your faith to Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, he says, For the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Think about that. Think about that. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be. This is not what it should be. It's inconsistent. It's illogical. It's double-mindedness. 
And he gives four practical illustrations of how this is inconsistent. Verse 11, he says, there's a spring, pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. If you go to Gemini Springs, I wouldn't drink the water because you'll probably die of some bacteria infection. But from the spring comes fresh water, not salt water. Freshwater springs bring fresh water. Can a fig tree bear olives? That would be a cruel joke. You're expecting a fig newton, and instead you got an olive newton. Oh, and I love olives, but oh. Does a grapevine produce figs? No. Can a salt pond yield fresh water? No. Why? Because fresh water produces fresh water. Figs produce figs. Grapevines produce grapes. Salt ponds produce salt water. Kentucky produces championships. <laughs> Except for in football. Okay? For me to say Kentucky wins national championships in football would be James's point. Who you are produces what you do. The product reflects the source. And here he is saying it is organic consistency. So in other words, our words reveal the condition and character of our heart. What's inside of us comes outside of us through what we say. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should because... James ripped that off from his brother Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For, say this with me, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Cursing does not come from my heart full of blessing. It comes from a heart full of cursing. My words are not a vocabulary problem. My words are not a technique problem. My words are an inside problem. I have never and you have never spoken a word that is not ruled by your heart. Our words reveal what is really going on in your heart. So you do not have to worry about the condition of your heart. Your words reveal what's inside. I can personally always tell how I'm walking with God by what I say. If I say something I shouldn't, if I say a word that I shouldn't, it, I can tell my spirituality by how I react in watching games on television. If I say words that I wouldn't say in the pulpit... I know I'm not walking with God. Doug Moo, who writes on this, says this. He says, bad, bad things don't produce good things. And so a person who is not right with God and walking daily in His presence cannot consistently speak pure and helpful words. So if you are always exploding in anger, yelling at people, trying to hurt other people, the excuse cannot be, well, I didn't get enough sleep or I've not had my coffee yet, or my blood sugar is low, I need a Snickers bar, 
or you cannot say it's been a long day. No, it's what's on the inside of you that's coming out from your mouth. Your filter may be off because of lack of sleep or because of low blood sugar, but you literally vomit up what is inside of you. And so what this tells us all that your heart may not be as pure as you think it is. Three things that we see within that is this, is that hurting people hurt people. If you are depressed, if you are hurt or upset or unhappy, what is inside of you will inevitably come out. You will lash out at people. You will tear down people. Because you want everybody else to be just as miserable and just as unhappy as you are. And it's because there's a hurt there. Something's happened in your life. Something's happening currently in your life. Some worry, some concern. And, and you displace it to other people. And for some people, you've, you've been hurt for so long that, that this hurt is now turned into bitterness. And so that your happiness only becomes happy when others are unhappy. So you gossip. And you slander and you lie and you attack with your words because you're hurting. Insecure people insult people. See, if you're not secure about who you are or whose you are, if you feel that you're threatened or that you have a low self-esteem, you will crush anyone who's doing well. You know, they, they don't have to put lids on crab buckets. You want to know why? Because the crabs can never make it out because if they ever do try to, the other crabs will pull them down. That's what happens with a lot of people. They're crabby because they're insecure. Did you catch a joke? That was a spontaneous joke. I did, it was a pun that I... It was a dad joke, but I didn't mean to be... I am a dad and I told a joke. But if someone else is having a good day... You try to crush them. I heard an example, one preacher talking about this. He says, you see a friend that's bought a brand new car. And they're happy, they're excited. And you look at them and you say, well, how much did that cost? And they say, enough. And you say, well, are you being a good steward in God's eyes buying that truck? You know, if you, you would have done a whole lot better if you would have bought an old beater, beat up truck. We see people that are doing well. And we want to cut them down. Because we want to push ourselves up. There's some people that they always are trying to one-up somebody. So somebody tells them, you know what, I went and, and went to, to this concert. I, I went, you know, some people yesterday, or some of you uh, went to King, King and Country or some concert yesterday. And for King and Country or whatever, some, song, some people with a king and a country in it, okay? <laughs> And, and somebody comes and says, oh yeah, I got tickets now. We were up in the nosebleed, we were up in the second level, but it was a great concert, we had such a great time. And you said, oh yeah, I was up in the front row. Matter of fact, I met King and Country, got their <laughs> autograph, got the hat. Some people are always trying to one-up people. Or some people will use passive-aggressive language. Some people will exaggerate and inflate their accomplishments because they want to puff themselves up because inside we're insecure. We all struggle with these things. So you all checking with, we're all struggling here. And here's the third thing, garbage in, garbage out. 
If there's garbage in, garbage is going to come out. You, you cannot listen to things, see things, be around things, and not be affected by them. All the crude joking and sensual language and vile nastiness that comes out of people who call themselves Christians, the reason why is because you're allowing garbage in your life. So recently I was in the Middle East and was speaking to one of, the, one of my friends that are there that's from that area, and, and I said, why is it that a lot of Arabs cuss? They say bad words. And he says, well, the reason why, because most Arabs learn English through the television. They watch American movies, and they just feel like I should say the F word, or the GD word, or whatever, because that's American language. And some people that are in the Middle East do not want to be a part of Christianity because the only version of Christianity that they know is that they think America is a Christian country and if America is a Christian country and they're exporting this kind of filthiness, I don't want any part of that. Garbage in, garbage out. Reveals the condition of my heart. Let me give you the last point before we all get to the point of repentance. And that's actually really the point, is, verse, is number three, is that what we say should push us to our need for Christ. Verses seven and eight, James says, For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Even in the first century, before SeaWorld, the circus, and the Central Florida Zoo, people were taming animals. We can tame dolphins. You can tame snakes. You can tame dogs. You can even tame roaches. People have been able to tame the wildest of animals. But there's one that cannot be tamed. The tongue. James in verses 7 and 8 removes any hope for us in controlling our tongues. Now, you say, well... I don't believe that. I can control my tongue. Well, if that's the case, then I want to give you a tongue assignment. For the next week, do not gossip. Do not complain. Do not criticize. Do not make excuses. Do not defend yourself. Always encourage others. Look for the good. In everything that you see, boast not... Do not boast, do not deceive or mislead or exaggerate anything. Here's the truth. We couldn't make it an hour. And here's the problem. If you did, you couldn't tell anybody. Because that would be boasting. Why can't it be tamed? Verse 8. It's a restless evil. It's active, it's aggressive, it's restless, it never gets tired, it never gets worn out, it's full of deadly poison. It's like a deadly snake or a furry asp. It's a serial killer. And it must get its poison out. It is toxic. He says no human being contain the tongue. There is no technique that you can learn, that I can learn to help us control our tongues because the problem with my tongue is not my tongue. The problem with my tongue is my heart. 
And although my heart is redeemed, it is still twisted and sinful. So what can I do? If I can't control it, if I can't even neutralize it, then I'm helpless, right? But we're not helpless because we have help from the outside. Who is that? Glad you asked. Verse 2. Go back to what James said. For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Didn't James just say no human being can tame the tongue? Who is he talking about? His brother. Jesus Christ. The God-man. No human being can control the tongue. First Peter chapter 2, Peter writes about this and he says, He, Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The old spiritual song says he never said a mumbling word. See, we need his help. The task of taming the tongue is impossible. It requires divine intervention. And since it is true that no one can tame their tongue, it is therefore then, if that is all there is, that you cannot tame your tongue, then there's nothing but despair, but the gracious intervention of God, that God sent forth His Son to be sacrificed on the cross for the sins of our tongues. So the question is, how can Jesus help? Because you say, well, Pastor, that sounds great, but how in the world can Jesus help me with my tongue? Here's how. Two ways, and these are profound, and these will help you. If you apply them. Number one, how does Jesus help your tongue? He shuts your mouth. The reason that many of us struggle with our mouths and the reason why many of you struggle with your mouth is that your mouth has never really been closed by God. God graciously tames our tongues by shutting our mouths. How? When we see His holiness and we see our sinfulness. As we look into the mirror, we see how evil we truly are and how awesome He truly is. Have you ever had a moment when you were a kid, when you got caught doing something wrong and you were caught red-handed and you couldn't say a word? Not a word to your parents? They caught you and you were just awestruck and silent. You have been found. There's not a word you can say. That's where we are. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, notice what Paul says, For we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, the purpose of the law. Why is it the Bible says, You shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. It's to prove to us we can't do it, we can't keep it. So the law is given to us so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out this, from that text, he says that Paul now points out that when you realize what the law is truly saying to you, the result is that every mouth shall be stopped. You are rendered speechless. You are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless. How do you know whether you are a Christian or not? It is that you stop talking. How do you know whether a man is a Christian? The answer is that his mouth is shut. I like this for rightness of God, of the gospel. People need to have their mouth shut, stopped. You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is shut. 
is stopped and you are speechless and have nothing to say. The tongue is a small member, yet boasts great things. The gospel of Jesus Christ stops our boasting. It humbles us. The reason that some of you are not a Christian is that you're too proud. But when you, are, when you behold the glory of God, the, the glory of God that we sang a moment ago that we are overwhelmed by, it shows us how evil and how wicked and how sinful we are that Christ had to die. That we cannot save ourselves. We are helpless. We are hopeless without Him. And that shuts our mouths. You ever had a kid and they continue to defend themselves? And they've been caught red-handed. And all you want them to do is just say, shut your mouth. And that's where God is with some of you this morning. You've been revealed. You've been seen. You've been shown. You've been proven that you are a sinner in need of His grace. And all you do is run your mouth. And God is just saying, shut your mouth. Two, He not only shuts our mouth, but if that's all there is, we would be miserable. He heals our heart. See, our hearts are broken. They're wounded. They're infected. And that leads us to say evil things to other people and even to ourselves. But if all Jesus did is shut our mouths, He would never address the true issue, which is our hearts, because our hearts long for others' approval. Our hearts long for love, for forgiveness, for peace. For satisfaction, for justice, and for joy. So the gospel not only tells us we are so bad, so wicked, so evil that Christ had to die, but the gospel tells us that we are so loved, so dearly loved by God, that He willingly sacrificed His Son Jesus, the perfect man, so that He can forgive all of our sins. See, the gospel of Jesus heals all the bad things that we've ever heard other people say about us. Because in Christ, we have the approval of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. That many of you have been hurt by your parents. You've been hurt by someone else. You've been hurt by your spouse. You've been hurt by your kids. And they have told you all kinds of evil about yourself. How much they hate you. But yet in Christ, you have the full acceptance of God. You've been forgiven. He heals the bad that has been said to you. And He can heal all the bad that you have said to others. So, our response to the gospel is not to curse others, but to bless God. And when our hearts reflect on the tremendous blessings of God in Christ, our tongues will not curse other people. When we see that our identity is in Christ alone, then we do not have to tear other people down. I don't have to lie to other people to have them think that we are more or that I am more than I really am. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be envious. I don't have to be jealous or competitive because I am a new creation in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, everything is awesome. Long before the Lego movie, everything is awesome. If you're in Christ. 
That will change you. Now listen, that may sound mystical to you. That may sound very impractical to you. Here is the practicality. If you have a tongue problem, it's a heart problem, and you cannot tame or control your tongue, but your heart can be healed. When you heal your heart, how can you heal it? Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to the degree that you understand and apply that gospel every day, it will change what you say. Change it. You ever burned your tongue? I mean, it's aggravating. I don't like to drink hot drinks, but every time I do, inevitably, if I drink coffee, I'll always burn my tongue. And it's, it's so... Because why it's so aggravating is you can't taste food like you normally can taste food. If you have salt in the tongue, it begins to be irritated and... It's just horrible. Do you know what they have said is the best remedy for a tongue burn? Eating ice cream. <laughs> Amen. And you think, oh, that's not a problem. Some of you will be like, I want to burn my tongue more. But no. Eating ice cream. And as exciting as it should be to eat ice cream, how much more exciting should it be to feast on the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Hear the words of David. David said, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Turn to Jesus this morning. He never said a mumbling word. Not a word. And if you come to Him today, He will not speak words of condemnation or criticism. He will speak words of grace because of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Every head bowed. Every eyes closed. If you're here today and You say, Pastor, I don't think in my life I've ever truly trusted Jesus as my Savior. That my heart is is hurting. And I don't feel like I'm ever going to be worthy enough for His love. Hear the words of God. That though your sins be as scarlet, I can wash them white as snow. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I would like to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to give you an opportunity right now, just as you are. The Bible says that whoever believes in his heart that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, shall be saved. So this morning, with your mouth, you can ask Jesus to save you. Maybe you're here today and you're rehearsing all the bad things that you've said this past week to your kids or to your spouse or to someone you know. Ask God to forgive you today. Ask Him to cleanse you, to change your heart. And then go to that person and tell them you're sorry. Maybe somebody this week needs to be encouraged Instead of tearing someone down this week, find somebody, find two or three people and encourage them.
Encourage them. And maybe this week, God's going to lay somebody on your heart that doesn't have a relationship with Him. Use your mouth to share Jesus. Jesus.